Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be looking at Matthew 1 and Matthew 2 over the next uh, two weeks together. Um, And then James will be leading us in another Christmas message from the Gospel of Luke to here in this Christmas season. I have a a brother, I have several brothers, but my oldest brother is absolutely crazy on trying to figure out the Finkbeiner family tree. And he's run the family tree back to the 1300s. And I've got I've got a brother-in-law, my wife's brother, has run their family tree back to, I think, the 1400s. It's, it's unbelievable. Unfortunately, we found out some things that are less than <laughs> helpful. I mean, I always thought, like, the word Finkbeiner meant the bones of a finch. I mean, that's kind of, you know, Finkbeiner, bones of a finch. If you kind of run the etymology all the way back. But we did find out, if you run it back far enough, it actually, all it actually means is bean farmer. That's it. <laughs> so you run it back as far as you can. And I come from a long list of farmers of beans. So I'm asking my brother to stop. <laughs> Who knows what we'll find out. But I think if we go back far enough, we'll get to Adam eventually, and I'll be all right. But... Uh, but at least back to 1300s, not, not a real positive thing. So family trees are interesting. And whether I come from a bean farmer or not doesn't make a whole lot of difference. But in the scriptures, genealogies are very, very important. Family trees. And now, I was talking with James before the service. And how are you going to handle this genealogy very quickly, actually? <laughs> But I want to kind of work our way through it because in the ancient world, genealogies were very important, especially if you were part of a priestly line or a royal line. It was really, really important that you could track yourself back to somebody who was really significant, not a bean farmer, but but a significant individual in the past. And Matthew, right right out of the gate, wants us to know something. He wants us to know that Jesus, if you look, for instance, matter of fact, Mark, do you have the, um, let me have you, yeah, let me talk about this real quick, and just in some on genealogies, but, but, but when you think your way through the Gospels, one of the things you'll find is pretty much, if you want to learn about stuff related to the birth of Jesus, do you notice there, it all comes from the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, which is why James and I are talking about those two books over the next three weeks. Because if you go to Mark or John, you're not going to find something specific there. But if you go to the next one, um, and I won't do too much of this, okay? Sometimes it's interesting. Genealogies are so important that both Matthew and Luke have a genealogy. And if you look at Luke's genealogy, it comes a little bit later in his book in chapter 3. He goes all the way back to Adam because he wants you to realize something. Jesus is directly connected to the human race in such a way that he's human, but not in such a way that he's sinful. He's human. So Luke runs it all the way back to Adam. Matthew, on the other hand, only goes back to Abraham. Well, why? I mean, when you read genealogies, you ask yourself, why do they start where they start? Why do they end why they end? Why do they mention who they mention? Because the other thing you find in genealogies, Matthew doesn't list everybody between Abraham and Jesus. 
but significant individuals. Okay? Luke mentions more, and there's other things going on there. But all that to say, when you read genealogies, why are they there? And this is, this is important. Matthew wants you to know something. The Messiah had to be Jewish. So you got to get him back to Abraham. But in addition to that, the Messiah had to be from David. So you got to get back to David. So look at what he does here. The book of the genealogy, Matthew 1, 1 says, of Jesus Christ. And whenever you see the word Christ, you could just put the word Messiah in there. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. The son of David, the son of Abraham. So notice what he does. He starts here now with Abraham. And Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac Jacob, and to Jacob Judah and his brothers. And to Judah was born Perez and Zerah by Tamar, a real stellar character in the Bible, right? You know much about Tamar? She set up Judah so Judah would sleep with her so she could get pregnant. And God puts, Matthew has, God has Matthew put her name right here in the genealogy. But let, we'll get to it. Let's just keep reading, okay? And Perez was born Hezron, and Hezron Ram, and Ram was born Aminadab, Aminadab, Nashon, and Nashon, Salmon, and Salmon was born Boaz, by Rahab. Now, Rahab actually um, is another interesting individual. Prostitute. Whatever. Let's keep reading. And to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth. Now, I like Ruth. There's a whole book in the Bible named after her. But she's not even a Jew. She's a Moabitess. And that threshing floor thing where she's like laying on that fleshing floor by Boaz, like that's kind of a little bit kinky or something, isn't it? Whatever, just keep going. And to Obed, Jesse, and to Jesse was born not just David, but David the king. Okay. And to David was born Solomon, and if you read in Chronicles, it will say, by Bathsheba. But you notice what Matthew says? By her who had been the wife of Uriah. Has adultery written all over it. Man, alive. Think by now. He's talking about Christmas and like, this is a little bit, whatever. I'm just reading what Matthew put. And to Solomon was born Rehoboam, Rehoboam, Abijah, and Abijah, Asa. And Asa was born Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, Joram, and Joram, Uzziah, Uzziah was born Jotham, and Jotham, Ahaz, and Ahaz, Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was born Manasseh, Manasseh, Ammon, and Ammon, Jos Josiah. See, I told you I'd get through this quickly. And to Josiah was born Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, to Jeconiah was born Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, who we know about from the book of Ezra. And Zerubbabel was born Abiad, and Abiad, Eliakim, and Eliakim, Azor, and Azor, Zadok, and Zadok, Akim, and Zekakim, Eluad, and right down the line, Matthian, Jacob, verse 16. And Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus, who was called the Messiah. 
Now, I want you to think about something. Was Jesus in Joseph's line? No, he wasn't, was he? So we have the line that's carried forth all the way down to Joseph, who is the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is the Messiah. Okay, Matthew's making me struggle with some things here. Okay, so that's all I'm reading so far. He goes on to say, look, I I, want to sum up some things to you, so this is what I want you to know. Look at verse 17. Therefore, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14. From David to the deportation of Babylon, 14. And from the deportation to Babylon to the time of the Messiah, Christ, 14. Now, in actuality, there's more names in there. Matthew is highlighting 14 for a reason. And we'll talk about what that might mean. But here's what's important. Matthew, and Matthew knows, having just said that, people are saying, okay, but you've got Christ who is born of Mary, and somehow you've got to get him in the line of Joseph. Like, how are you going to do that? He's, he's saying, relax, I'll get to that. All right, just relax. But I want to talk a little bit more about this. And he says, when you look at genealogy, this is what you'll see. You will see hope and promise with Abraham. And you will see that run all the way down and you'll actually have a king, King David. And through King David will come promises of a future coming Messiah. And then you will see nothing but failure which will end in the exile of the nation. But Matthew says, if you keep tracking with the genealogy, you will go, go from this promise to, wow, David. But then you see nothing even in his life. You begin to see failure, 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 failure. And then in the exile, he says, but I want you to have the ultimate hope because now, even in light of all that, in light of the promise, in light of the, what, what he says to David, even in light of the failure, I want you to know something. There's a coming king. And he tracks it all the way through to Joseph, who somehow you got to connect to Jesus because at the end of the day, Jesus is the hope of everybody. Does that make sense? So th- these are the things he's saying. And, and then you look back over his genealogy and you have to ask yourself, Matthew, why didn't you say Bathsheba? Why do you have to say the wife of Uriah? Because when you say that, everybody thinks, oh, David wasn't so good after all, was he? And why do you have to mention Rahab? I know she was a person of faith. We learned that later, but still. I think what Matthew would tell you is this. Jesus came to a human race. And even the messianic line itself is flawed through and through. Isn't it? And you know something else? Don't think of a messianic race that's all about nothing but Jews. Because there's Moabites in there and all kinds of people outside of the Jewish nation who are brought in. That's going to lead to Jesus Christ himself. 
So Matthew just wants you to know, before you go very far, Jesus is about reaching sinners. And not just Jewish sinners. All sinners. He's reaching out to all of them. So he gives us this. And he says, yes, there's promise. And there's David. And then there's failure. But there's hope. And that hope will come in Jesus Christ. Okay, Matthew. I got it. I, I, I got it. But I still got a problem. You got Mary over here having Jesus. With no man. And you've got this line, and you've got to get him into this somehow. Do you you see the problem? Matthew says, I got it. Let me show you what's going to happen. What I'm going to do is this, Matthew will say. You will find when this story all ends that Jesus is going to be adopted by Joseph. And in being adopted by Joseph, he becomes an heir in the line of Joseph himself. Yeah, but there's another problem. You've got to somehow convince Joseph about this whole thing about a child born of a virgin. Because, like, is there any precedent for that? No. I mean, you have a lot of great stories in the Old Testament. I mean, you got people, you got Sarah getting pregnant as an older woman. But that doesn't compare to this. So Matthew's got to try to, he's going to talk you through how this all comes together. So at the end of the day, we all are going to sit back and say, Wow! Look at what God has done. So look what happens here in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. You've got to give high marks to this guy. In the ancient world, it wasn't at all unusual to be, we'd call it engagement. They would call it betrothal. To be actually engaged to somebody for about a year. And then you would end with a a wedding ceremony and then they would, you know, they would uh, consummate the marriage uh, that evening, etc. And so that's kind of the way it, it, it worked. Um, so they were in this betrothal period, this engagement period. And for them, like if, if, if a couple is engaged today and, um, and the woman backs out of the, of the engagement, it, 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 I mean, it's, it's painful because you probably have paid for different things you, you, and so forth. You have to give things back and all that. But, but it, it's not considered a legal divorce or anything, is it? Because they've, they've not been married yet. In the ancient world, if you're engaged and you break up, it's a divorce. It was serious. And so in this period, I've often wondered what this conversation must have been like. It's, you know, when I get to heaven, I have so many questions to ask. I just, I'm going to, hey, Mary, like what? Um, you know, I, I like to ask people these questions. One of my questions, how did Mary try to explain this to Joseph at the start? I mean, what would that be like? Joseph, I know you're not going to believe this, but um, I'm pregnant and I haven't been with any man. I've been faithful to you. What would you think? It, it just, I mean, you have no precedent. And so Joseph has to be thinking to himself, 
Not only is she unfaithful, she makes me out to be an idiot. But in the midst of all that, he could have publicly humiliated her. Somehow this man goes off by himself and says, I can't do that to Mary. That's one righteous guy. I mean, he could have taken every jab imaginable at her. And the text says he's going to do it quietly. He can't be with her. But she's been unfaithful. But he doesn't want to hurt her. That's amazing. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Dreams are very common in the scriptures, as you're aware. Notice how he's addressed. Joseph who? Son of David. Joseph, you who are connected directly to David and all of the promises about a coming Messiah through David's line. Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Can you imagine what that must have been like? <laughs> he goes to bed one night. And he's awakened by an angel. And he knows this is not from a liverwurst sandwich that he had the night before. <laughs> this is the real deal. And the angel says, what has happened to Mary is absolutely unique in history. It will never happen again. And the seed in her is the God-man. He is fully human, but he is not sinful like humanity. And he is God and man together at the exact same time. How would you think? I don't know about you, but I'm recalibrating about this time if I'm Joseph. And you're going to call him Jesus. Many children were called Jesus in the first century. This is, I mean, it's not unusual. Be, be like, it's like John or Joe. Very common name. Because in the first century, everybody's saying, God saves, God saves. But when they were saying God saves, they were thinking, God save us from Rome. But the angel makes it very clear, this Jesus will save you from your sin. Because at the end of the day, that's your worst enemy. And Matthew, telling this story, has to stop at that moment and says, look, guys, I know I'm telling you this story, but i got to just tell you something real quick before I get back to the story. This makes me think of Isaiah. And this is what Matthew says. He says an aside. Now, all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I want you to think about this. Matthew says his name will be called Jesus, but his identity will be God is with us. Put those together. Christmas tells us 
that God is with us in the person of his son to save us from our sins. Joseph hears all this. And look what he does in verse 24. Uh, This guy is just one stellar young man. And Joseph arose from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took her as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she should give birth to a son. Now, not after that, but until that. And he called his name Jesus. And so we have a genealogy running all the way down to Joseph. And we have Mary, virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And we've got to somehow get these together because You've got to get Joseph to adopt him, but to get Joseph to adopt him, he's got to realize the virgin birth really happened. I mean, do you really think the first argument against the virgin birth came from modern liberalism? No, the first moral argument came from here from Joseph. Like, this is wrong. This is impossible. The first biological argument came from Mary in Luke's gospel. Like, how can this be? No, these questions have been asked from the get-go. Joseph was convinced this was absolutely unique. He adopted Jesus, gave him the name Jesus, and we have Jesus in the line of David. Do you see? A couple things. Oh, you know what? I never told you about the 14, did I? I I forgot about that, didn't I? It just kind of hit me now. I'll give it to you real quick, then I'll summarize. Go, go, go one slide, maybe, or two. I don't remember where this is now. One more. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's a good one, too. I forgot about that one. Okay, well, it's still a bit late now. I should have shared that to you. It's just, this is just showing you the different women and their nationality and the scandal that was typically tied into them. Okay, whatever. We won't worry about it now. We got, we'll be on that. I think it's the next one. Ah, there it is. I'll just tell you this because I promised I would. And I don't know if this is the absolute answer, but it's the best one that I'm aware of. Why 14? It may be, if you knew Hebrew, um, what you'll find is the fourth letter in the, the fourth, fourth consonant in Hebrew alphabet is comparable to what we would call the D. We would say D. Um, And the sixth letter, the Vav, V. Um, and so some scholars believe that what, what, what Matthew is doing is he's taking really the word David. Do you see that? DVD? Now don't think of DVD. Think of David. Okay? It wasn't in our day. So David, and he's, he's just taking the numerical value of each one of those. So what he's saying here is this. Why do you only mention 14 generations between each of these groups? Because at the end of the day, I want you to remember, this is the son of David. This is the long-awaited Messiah that we all desperately need. And so even the way I organize my genealogies, I want you to see David again so you don't miss the point. This is Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. All right, let's go to the last slide. One more, I think there's one more, isn't there? Yeah, okay. So what's in a family tree? In the case of Jesus, the hope of humanity. If I can put it all together, I might say it's something like this. 
Jesus enters a world of sinners as the sinless God-man and as the long-awaited Jewish Messiah so that he could save every kind of sinner. It could be that you're here today and you're just visiting and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. We are delighted that you're with us. We hope you come back again and again and again and again and that you talk to us too. Any of us would love to talk to you. And I want you to know something. I don't care what kind of sinner you are. You say, I'm from a different ethnic group. It doesn't matter. A different social status than other people. It doesn't matter. You don't know the kind of sexual dysfunctional activity in my past. It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters. But it doesn't ultimately matter in, your, in the fact that you can come to Jesus Christ. He builds that into his genealogy so that we come out of that as we come into his life, we see that Jesus Christ loves sinners. And he wants all sinners to come. And when they do, he forgives because the reason he came into this world, God is with us to save us from our sins. So if you're here like that today, be nothing greater than to hear that you come to faith in Christ. They say, Doug, I'm a believer. I memorized Matthew 1. Well, not the genealogy, but the stuff after it. This is what I want you to remember. We were talking about this a little bit in Sunday school today um, at the beginning. But Christmas is one of the most wonderful times for families in the entire year and one of the hardest times for individuals in the entire year, isn't it? There are some people that will remember their loss at Christmas, whether that's by death or divorce or just fractured relationships with extended family. And so when you talk about the fact that Christmas is a wonderful time for family to get together, and you say, I don't want to get together, or I can't get together. I hate Christmas. Some people will say that. No, I don't. I'm just saying some people <laughs> said that. It's going to go out of here saying, Think Fire hates Christmas. Nah, no, I'm just saying what people say. Right? But, but thanks for interacting. Um, that's good. Isn't that good? Yeah, that's, that's wonderful, actually. But here's what I want to say. What if Christmas at the end of the day is about that? That means for the believer, Christmas may be hard, but it can be gloriously hard. There can be joy in the midst of sorrow because that will never change. We rejoice that God has become one of us. And suffered and died and rose and ascended, sits at the right hand of God, is coming back. And Christmas is the start, and that will never change. You know what this tells me? 
Christmas is for everybody. And it gives hope to everybody. Doesn't the gospel do that? The gospel meets everybody where they are and frees them and gives them purpose and meaning. Even in the world of circumstances which are a mess. It's the hope of Jesus Christ. And our prayer for you as a leadership team that you will either embrace Jesus for the first time as your Lord and Savior. Or if you already know him, that you will use every opportunity imaginable over the next couple weeks to share him with others. Father.